I need you to use your imagination a little bit this morning as I get started. And it's, uh, it's, it's kind of a negative imagination, which I really never like to use. But I think in order to get into the scripture that God has for us today, I need you to do this. I need you to think about, I just need you to think about, uh, perhaps you're the victim of some kind of a catastrophic weather event or an earthquake, and you find yourself trapped in your own basement. You're all by yourself. You're trapped in your own basement, and the house has collapsed on top of the foundation. There's no light. You can't see anything. It's dark. And so you sit in there with some measure of hope, yeah? Somebody will come. Somebody will come. Day goes by, and you begin to wonder, is somebody coming? And you're sitting in the darkness. It's just dark. And so time continues on, and you, you get hungry, and you're thirsty. It's just dark. You don't hear anybody digging. You don't hear anything, and the time just continues to go by. And you begin to lose hope, don't you? You begin to think there's little or no hope of being rescued. What's going to happen? And with yourself in that scenario... Suddenly, something changes. There's, there's just a glimmer of light coming into the darkness. It's just a, it's just a bit of light. You, you look at it, and you're almost afraid to believe it's real. It's just a bit of light. And you start to wonder, have I been in here so long that I'm just hallucinating that light? But as you look at it, you discover that the light's getting a little bit, a little bit brighter. And your darkness is pierced by light. And your hopelessness, your despair, gives way to hope. In that situation, you can begin to understand how the people of Israel may have felt when Isaiah uttered this prophecy in Isaiah chapter 9. This was in the 8th century B.C. And Assyria was this mounting world power to the north. Now keep in mind that Israel had always lived precariously as a small nation between the powerful Egypt and the powerful whoever was in charge of the north at the time. And they were living in this situation where this impending military power was coming on them. They had been warned by a prophets, and they lived in this sense of despair, this hopelessness, because they were just a small nation They'd forgotten God. They couldn't really appeal to him. It didn't even occur to them. They had abandoned Yahweh. And so there was this hopelessness as Assyria just became more and more and more powerful. It's hard for us to imagine that and really get a hold of that because as Americans, we live in the nation which is the super military power of the earth, right? We don't worry about the people from the north invading us. 
Canada is of little threat to us. We don't live in that kind of despair. But imagine if through some strange turn of events, Russia and China and Pakistan and Iran and India all got to, all formed an alliance and said, we're going after the United States. I know it's hard to imagine those countries actually agreeing on much of anything, but just think about it. And think about how things here would begin to change. And your sense of security would begin to change. This will give you a picture, a, a, a glimpse of what it was like to be Israel. When the prophet said, nevertheless, there will be no more gloom for those living in distress. How can you? You're living in distress. Your day is gloom. You wonder if today is going to be the day that the Assyrians overpower your village. In the past, he humbled the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. Those are the northern sections of the kingdom of Israel. They're the first ones being steamrolled by the Assyrians. In the past, he humbled them. But in the future, he'll honor them. Because the people walking in darkness have seen a what? A great light. On those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. It's just a glimmer, this prophet says. I can see something in our future, he says, with as dark as it is in the here and now, I can see a light. I can see a light. And it was his job to proclaim it so that the people of Israel would say, do I dare even believe this? Is this light a real thing? And their despair for those who believed was turned to hope. This is the first Sunday of Advent, and uh, this is the Isaiah passage 9, one that I love so much, so many of us love so much, is, is the passage that is traditionally brought to the attention of the church. I love it because right now, I mean the Methodists and the Lutherans and the Presbyterians and the Greek Orthodox Church people, all of our beloved believers all around the world with all kinds of different flavors, all kinds of different names on their signs, they're all reading the same passage and we're united with the global church right now in heart and in the word. Do you love that church? I mean, prepare to gasp, but we're not the only ones. We're not the only ones. Some people, they, they read their songs out of books. I know. Some people have such a measured order of service that you always know exactly what time you're going to make it to Bob Evans. I know, weird, huh? And there are beloved, precious brothers and sisters in Christ. Amen? And right now we're joined with them around this passage on this first Sunday of Advent. And 
I feel compelled to focus our attention in this Advent season on the subject of hope. Hope. Now, some of you are saying, what exactly is Advent? I love you guys who are like brand new believers and you know you didn't hang around the church much and you're going like, where will I find Advent in the Bible? And you won't. It's not a thing of the Bible per se, but it's a celebration that has been incorporated by the church over the centuries. And Advent, the word means coming, and so it celebrates the first coming of Christ, once the, the date of Christ's birth was fixed or agreed upon, let's say the celebration of the time of Christ's birth was agreed upon by the church. And over some space of time afterwards, the church just began saying, we should get ready for that. We shouldn't just drop in on Christmas, but we should get ready for the celebration of the coming of Christ. And so this Advent, which means coming, this season, which now is now the, 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 the four Sundays prior to Christmas, is a season that we call Advent. And uh, for us here at the Vineyard, it is definitely our most organized and perhaps ceremonial time of the year. We're not very organized around here. And for us to know what we're going to do at any given time is unusual. And uh, like no other season of the church year, this season of Advent has caught on for us. And it caught on for us when we were so young. We were literally in a living room when we started lighting Advent candles. And now we just have a substantially bigger living room. And we light these Advent candles. Here at the Vineyard, we celebrate Advent with four partic- in four particular ways. One, each Sunday of Advent, we'll focus on Advent, we'll light another one of the candles, and we'll focus on one of the scriptures from Advent, we'll join with the rest of the church globally to just read these scriptures and appreciate these scriptures and invite the Holy Spirit to come and speak to us in these scriptures. That's one way we celebrate Advent. Another way we celebrate Advent is on the first Sunday of Advent, we have our children's program. Ooh, ooh, yeah. And these kids have worked for, for a couple of months to be ready, and a, a volunteers, adults, so many of them, cast of thousands. Many people have worked so hard. I hope you'll just come tonight and enjoy what the kids have prepared in the declaration of Jesus. A third way that we celebrate Advent here at the Vineyard is that the Sunday night before Christmas, which this year is December 23rd, we celebrate something we call carols and candles, which is a very traditional service for us. We dress up. I put on a tie. What? You'll see Christian in a tie. What? Yeah. And we dress up, and it's very traditional. We sing traditional Christmas songs. I bring a brief Christmas message, and we, let, and we play with fire. Everybody gets a candle. And it's really a great time. And one of the things about carols and candles is that in all the years we've done, here's here's an assurance I can almost give you, nothing weird has happened. So it's a good time to invite your friends. You know how you want to bring some friends to the vineyard, but you don't want it to be that Sunday where the weirdness breaks out? Who knows what I'm talking about, right? Can you just designate a safe Sunday, right, so I can just bring this uninitiated person and I can never guarantee that, right? But uh, I will say that in 25 years of having carols and candles, nothing weird has ever happened. So it's probably the safe service to bring a friend to. 
We dress up for that. And then the fourth way we celebrate Advent here at the Vineyard is on Christmas Day, Karen and I, we, we hold a Christmas Day service for you. We have for 25 years. And on Christmas morning at 10 o'clock, she and I sit up here and I play my guitar and we sing some songs and we let the kids talk and we share a little bit of this and a little bit of that. And then we go. And it's a wonderful way to punctuate the Christmas Day celebration between the breaking of the toys and going to grandma's, right? And you just come at 10 o'clock, and it's, you don't have to dress up for that. We have people who come in their pajamas, all right? And so in these four ways, we love to celebrate Advent. And what it is, is it's a preparation, isn't it? For the full celebration, the full appreciation of the coming of Jesus Christ. And as I said, I feel compelled to focus on the subject of hope throughout this Advent season. Why hope? And it's because so many of you are so hungry for hope right now. As I prayed, I, as I live among you, I see that so many of you are so hungry for some hope in your life right now. And there are a number of you who have lost loved ones. You've lost them. They've just gone to heaven. And you want hope. You want something to come into that, that place that's been left empty. There are others of you who have just suffered, suffered personal loss. You have personal situations going on where you just feel like, I, I could just get, a, just get a glimmer. You're, you're almost worn down by it. If I could just get a glimmer of hope. There's some of you who are maybe even nearly depressed about the global political scene and just the news. And like, who do I believe? What do I even think anymore about all of that? And you need some hope. Maybe some of you are just feeling despair over the decline of morality in our country. You go, where is this going? How far down is this going to go? And you just need some hope. And so I think that's why God's calling me to, and Christian to bring you this series through, through this Advent season about hope. Today we're going to talk about hope in times of darkness. Let's consider just a few questions. The first question I think we should ask is what is hope? Exactly what is hope? I think many of you know that on Thursday mornings we have a prayer meeting here, and it's me and half a dozen of my nearest friends, and we gather around in a circle, and we pray for about a half hour. We worship a little, pray. And one of the things that's common for me is on Thursdays, very rhythmically in my life, that's the day that I devote to developing the passage for Sunday. And so uh, every Thursday morning at 6.15, I gather with a group of people who love me and who support me. And among the things we pray for, it's pretty common for somebody to start praying for my day and the development of the message that I can hear from God and I can bring it to the church the way God wants it to be brought to the church. It's wonderful. It's an amazing level of support that I have in this church. And uh, on Thursday morning, I started praying this. I started, I started praying, and as they were praying that, God, would you just give me a, a really powerful definition of hope? Would you just, you know sometimes when God gives me something and then I give it to you, and it's just one of those memorable phrases, you know, and it's like, ah, yeah. And so I was praying, God, would you just give me 
but you give me one of those classic, memorable definitions of hope. And I went throughout my day and listened, did what I do, nothing. Friday morning, I got up, prayed my prayers, came in the office. First thing I did was walk the wall, and it was when I was coming in off the wall. Go figure. I was coming in off the wall. As I came in, I was asking, Lord, I'm still open for that phrase. And here's what the Lord spoke to me. Are you ready? Are you sure? <laughs> See what I mean? <laughs> I did what you just did. I, in all, with such a reverential spirit, I just said, Seriously, Lord? <laughs> I've been waiting 24 hours for hope is the opposite of hopelessness. But as the Lord drew me into that, he showed me that hopelessness is despair. Despair, just a sense of despair. This is never going to be any different. This is never going to be better. It's despair. And he showed me that the devil traffics in despair. He showed me that the devil traffics in despair the way dealers traffic in black tar. He said he, he just loves to just offer despair as a way to soothe oneself. You don't have to hope in God anymore. You don't have to hope for something better. You don't have to trust in God. Just, just wallow in despair and see all that pain will go away. And you know what? It does for a second, doesn't it? It's like, I just give up. I just give up on this thing. And that becomes addictive. And before you know it, you're an addict of hopelessness. That's how you explain your reality to yourself. I have an additional definition. Hope is, let's read that together. Hope is the confident assurance that God has your future in his hands. You got that? Hope is the confident assurance that God, whatever it is, he's got it. He has your future in his hands. It's different than the way we most often use the word hope in our society, isn't it? Most often, I think today, in a contemporary way, when we say hope, we mean wish. Like, I hope this happens, I hope that happens. A couple of weeks ago, you were hoping that the Buckeyes would beat Michigan, right? You were hoping, but man, there was a lot of uncertainty in our town, was there not? Oh, don't look at me and say, oh no, I, I, I always knew they were going to come through. Oh no, I always knew. I never give up hope on my Buckeyes. Oh my gosh, you guys were like, oh, 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 the Assyrians are coming. The people from the north, the people from, you even call them the people from the north. You're claiming scripture on those living in the land of the darkness. A shadow is done, a light is done, oh Lord. You had no hope. Anytime you say, well, I hope Buckeyes win, you were meaning, I wish, right? Don't look at me in that tone of voice. That's what you mean when you say hope. It's not based on any sense of certainty, is it? A couple of things about our definition here is it's future-oriented. God has your future in his hands. The Bible itself says, who hopes for what he already has? So hope isn't for now. Hope is for the near and distant future. 
Hope compares the present to the future and invites God to create the picture. It's a confident assurance. It's a sense of powerful confidence. And it's confident because it's based on the promises of God. It's based on God and the character of God. You know, all of our hope in life is based on something. So when we say, I hope I can keep my job during this time of downsizing, you're basing your hope perhaps on you know, your years of positive performance or someone you know in the decision-making world about that. Your, your, your hope is based on something, but it's uncertain. I hope I get a good report from the oncologist, you know, and maybe you're just focusing on the statistics that 72% of these particular kinds of tumors are benign, and you're placing your hope in something that you know. Hope is always based on something. Well, I hope. But the problem is, is there's no, no certainty to those things, is there? It's because the only sure thing in our life is God. So when you base your hope on God, the promises of God, then you have certainty. You have a confident assurance that God has your future in his hands. Amen? All right. What does hope have to do with light, you might ask? Well, a little light breaking into your darkness can change everything. In Isaiah chapter 9, verse 2, let's go ahead and read that together. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light is dawned. A little light piercing your darkness can change everything. And hope pierces hopelessness in the same way that light pierces darkness. 1 John 1.5 says that God is light. In him there is no darkness at all. So when we invite God into our present reality, he pierces our darkness with light. And there's an automatic product of hope when we place our hope in God. Some of you just need a glimmer of light in your darkness right now, don't you? You just need a glimmer of light. It's dark. You've got some dark realities in your life. Some of them have been visited on you, and some of them are perhaps the, choice of your own, or the product of your own choices. But you're in a dark basement, and you want some hope. Just something to break through. Well, put your hope in God. The last question really is, how can I access his hope? How can I get that? Oh, how fun. I told you. How can I access his hope? How do you get hope in the darkness? By staring at the light. Can you imagine yourself in that situation? Just going... Is that light? Do I even dare believe that that's light? In that darkness, in your basement, you couldn't help but stare at the light, could you? Because it would be your only hope. Is that light getting bigger? How do you get hope in your darkness? By staring at the light. The book of Hebrews says, fix your eyes on Jesus. Fix your eyes on Jesus, who for the joy set before him endured the what? Cross, scorning its shame. Fix your eyes on Jesus. We do this through the cross. We do this by focusing on the cross. 
In Hebrews chapter 6, verses 19 and 20, the Bible says, We have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. It enters the sanctuary behind the curtain. That's what Jesus did for us. Where Jesus, who went before us, has entered on our behalf. And all of your hopelessness can be, can, can, can be uh, uh, overcome by light when you stare at the cross. Are you in hopelessness because of the death of a loved one? Well, stare at the cross. Just look at the cross. And hear the one who inspired these words from Paul. Now we know that if the earthly tent we live in is destroyed, we have a building from God, an eternal house in heaven, not built by human hands. Focus at the cross. Just stare at the cross. Are you worrying about some provision for the future? Perhaps even your retirement? Is that even going to work? Well, stare at the cross from the one who inspired these words, and my God shall supply all of your needs according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. Stare at the cross. Are you worrying that you might lose your job and lose your ability to, to bring home a paycheck? Well, stare at the cross. And the one on the cross who died for us said this, Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things that you need will be added to you. Are you in some kind of addiction from which you can't seem to break loose? Well, stare at the cross. Stare at the cross and the one who said, You will know the truth, and the truth will set you free, and if the Son sets you free, there's free you're free indeed. There's freedom in the cross. Is there a crisis in your family? Are people spinning out of control? Are your children not moving in the way that you'd hoped they would move? Well, stare at the cross from the, to the one who inspired Solomon to say, train up a child in the way he's old and when he's old, or when, in the way he should go, and when he's old, he'll not depart from it. You say, well, he's older. Yeah, but he's not old. Is he old yet? Well, then have hope in the confidence of that word. Maybe you're... Your hopelessness comes from this sense of society spinning out of control. Did you know that the Bible says in the book of Job to God, no plan of yours can be thwarted. We are not in control. God is. We are not in control. God is. Take hope in that. And maybe you have some, maybe you have some, some worry about your future. What am I doing? What am I, what am I about? What's next? Well, stare at the cross. The one who inspired Solomon to say, God makes all things beautiful in his time. In his time. Stare at the cross. To the one who inspired Paul to say that I consider our present sufferings not worth comparing to the glory that will be revealed in us. Stare at the cross. Have you been to the cross? Have you been to the cross? Have you come to that defining moment in your life where you realized your need of Jesus Christ, Savior and Lord of your life, and you realized from the very revelation of Scripture that that is a personal decision? Yet to all who received him, to those, he talks about people who reject him, yet to all who received him, to those who believed on his name, he gave the right to them to become the children of God. Have you been to the cross? Have you come to the place of awareness of your need of Jesus Christ in your life as your Savior? Have you been to the cross? Believing about Jesus doesn't cut it. James says the demons believe and tremble. Have you been to the cross? 
It's the cross where you find the hope of eternal life. It's the cross. Are you living from the cross? You say, hey, I've been to the cross. Are you living from the cross? I venture to say that if you are dwelling in hopelessness, you have wandered from the cross. You're not living from the cross as you once were. Where the cross and the beautiful shadow of the cross across your life just cast light on everything. Are you living from the cross? That confidence that not only are you saved, but that God has you here and now. And to put your hope in him. So whatever your darkness is, just inviting God to come and, and pierce that darkness. Because when you live from the cross, you'll always have hope. I may not be speaking to everybody today, I don't know. But I'm speaking to some of you. And some of you are saying, I am living in a dark despair. There's something so important going on in my life that I just can't believe that I, I'm here. It's so dark, it's so hard, it's so hard to have any hope. Could you just dial that up to God right now? You just put it together in a little package, a big package maybe. Could you just bring it to the cross? Yeah, you, maybe you're already Christian, you've already been to the cross for your salvation, but maybe you're carrying this all by yourself and you just want to bring that to the cross. You don't want to bear the load anymore? You don't want to accept the devil's black tar? You say, I want hope. Jeremiah says that hope is what God promises to his people to give you a hope and a future. Just dial that up. And if you're not a person who's really just sort of resonating with this message today, can you just be patient for a minute? Because some of your dear brothers and sisters are so grateful for this moment. Would you just put that before the Lord? And let light pierce your darkness. Let the hope of glory, the hope of God, the hope of the fulfillment of the promises of God in your life, let that bring you hope. Lift you from despair. Take a breath, church. Just take a deep breath of God. Just breathe him in. Just take a deep breath. Well, in just a moment, we're going to celebrate communion together as our ministry response, as one of our ministry responses. We're going to come to these tables, and we're going to get some of the cup, and we're going to get some of the bread, and we're going to go back and sit in our seats and worship God. And then I'm going to come back and lead us all in taking the one who is our hope inside of us. We're going to do it a little bit differently today. We're going to ask the band to go ahead and come, and they're going to actually, I want you to just remain seated through the first verse. Could you just dial into the worship of this first verse, and then I'll come back and 
give you a signal to start heading for the tables. I'd also like to speak to those of you who, when I said, have you been to the cross, and you say no, are you ready? Pastor Christian will be standing right over here by this door. He's a great guy, trustworthy guy. And if you're a person who says, I want to go to the cross, I want, I want to take care of that. And while, while people are coming up for the communion lines, you could just go over to Christian and his whole purpose, please, leave him alone unless you want to go to the cross today, okay? You just want to cross that line, have that defining moment in your life, that assurance of your salvation. Father, we invite you, your presence. In our darkness, we call out to you, the one who is our light. We call out to you, the one who is our hope. Come and visit us in this time of worship, and time of your supper, the supper you commanded, and you ordained in the name of Jesus.